Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from Ford Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's a great, it's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bolt, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but... But we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickheads, you could say. It's just, it's, they're just, there's <laughs> good racing and I enjoy it. Mm. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to Inside Supercars for another week. Joining us to uh, preview the Sydney Motorsport Park event and a whole lot more, it's from Auto Action, Mark Fogarty. How are you going, folks? Very well, Craig. Yourself? I'm not too bad, and I'm sure Lewis Isaacs is looking forward to a home turf event. Indeed, indeed. No hotel rooms, but I've uh, got to make my own dinner every night, which is a bit ordinary. It's a worry when a race circuit now becomes more home because the, there's more journalists from that city than there is race teams that actually test and practice there. Oh, well, I think it's just good to have a full media centre for once, isn't it, Craig? You think there's going to be one of them? Well... There's no Bassus 12 hour this time, so it should be. Yes, it was a bit sparse there at the beginning of the year, folks. Oh, this is undoubtedly the highlight of my year. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a lie. I'm sorry. I can't pull that one off, can I? No. No, we'll see. It could be. It could be interesting. It, there may well be very few people there to see it, but it could be interesting in that the tone it sets going into the Enduros and it's getting to be a critical time for Mark Winterbottom and for Pro Drive Racing Australia to uh, actually take hold of this thing and um, keep going and finish it off rather than um, starring to the midpoint and then collapsing. Is there any reason, is there any indications that we should expect anything less from Pro Drive Racing Australia this year? It seems like, Lewis, the change of name was all they needed. Well, if you go back to March when they're at the Grand Prix and you remember Chaz and Mark kind of, I think it was a one-two in every race. Speaking of Frosty, none of that, you said the one track where, you know, the setup that's going to help them is going to be a Sydney Motorsport Park and that's where we're heading right now and so that kind of bodes well for the Enduros. They are the, the reigning Bastard champions for the last two times and, you know, most things are in their favour this year so you hope for the sports sake they can continue it but it is an outfit that kind of has a history of uh, shooting itself in the foot. But they've won the last two Bathurst Fogues. And an interesting thing is that we are seeing a team that potentially could wrap it up by Bathurst if Sandown and Bathurst go extremely well for them. It's quite simply theirs to lose from here on. I mean, last year at Sydney Motorsport Park, it all started unravelling for Frosty, but the team wasn't operating at the same level back then. And... and the FG Falcon wasn't the car that the FGX is and the debate will rage about how much better it is and how much of an aerodynamic advantage they've got. The simple fact is that by some measure and a critical measure, it's a better car and it's certainly easier for the team to tune and to make um, more consistently competitive um, and allied with the fact that clearly the team is operating at a higher level and much more consistently and not making the sort of errors that we got used to over well more than a decade um that's why i say it's 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 in their hands you know the 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 only threat to frosty realistically as far as i'm concerned is chas mostert 
So one way or another, they should win the title, both titles, the, the drivers and the um, teams. So you're firmly in the camp that it's too late for Wing Cup to do anything? It's not too late for him to do anything. I do think really we're now at the point that it's too late even for him you know, to mount one of his remarkable recoveries. Um, because last year, for example, you know, his recovery was allied with, with you know, a capitulation, a collapse uh, from, from winter bottom. Um, it just fell off a cliff, basically. Um, whereas this time, as, as we say, that you know, they should be strong enough to, to keep the ball rolling. Frosty doesn't have to keep winning races. He can, you know, he can, I'm not sure if slide through is the right terminology, but he can get through on, you know, lots of podiums at this stage. Um, and Wind Cup would have to go on an absolute windstorm um, from here to the end of the series. So I'm hoping he'll stage a comeback and he'll get into the fight and he'll put some pressure on Frosty for race wins. But um, I'm pretty much prepared to, you know, to call it in the sense that, you know, Wind Cup is not going to win a seventh title. This year. Uh, this year, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what about Lowndes, Lewis? At what point do you say we have to focus on the guy who's closest? Oh, I think you'd have to go at least till uh, after Bathurst because if there's anything we know about Jamie, it's you quick there. He started second last, and in that one opening stint, he kind of went very well, and his big points and off for those first two enduro races. And you know, Sydney a couple of years ago, 2012, was when he really turned that season around as well. So. I think Bathurst has got to be the uh, the deadline for that, and and from then on, give it to Lowndes if he's the one in contention. Would you wait that long, folks? No, and I don't think the team are. I mean, it kind of all, already it's already started at Queensland Raceway, where um, in one of the races, Wind Cup conceded to Lowndes. So um, I think you can see the thinking evolving already that um, where possible, um, they're going to assist Lowndes, and he's going to need all the assistance he can get because while he's parting like it's 1999 again um, and it's one of his stronger championship um, campaigns to this point, you still just can't... Well, I I can't fathom that Craig is going to keep it up consistently everywhere um, to be a real championship threat. Um, You know, he's going to be fighting to hang on for second, I think, in reality. And, you know, and that's... That's presuming that Triple Eight can stay where they are and that he can stay where they are. I think that the, 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 the puzzling loss of pace by Triple Eight um, has been masked a little bit in Craig's um, situation by the fact that, well, it's Craig, isn't it? He just shrugs things off. He drives around problems. So I think their current circumstance in that team is favouring Craig more than it's favouring Jamie, who, you know, just tries to throw science and and data at all the problems and and that's not working for them clearly at the moment. But the one thing, Lewis, about Jamie is that if he knows the game's up, he is going to do what he needs to do to give the team the best outcome and if that is move over, if that's run second when you've got the quicker car, he will actually do it and he won't make a bones about it. Oh, we'll see. I think last time he did that, he was a zero-time champion and now he's got you know, six to his name. So he's really kind of, um, he's changed that narrative a bit. So I'm not sure if he's necessarily going to do that. But I think the big thing coming up is, you know, the Enduro co-drivers, they're the real wild card here. And you're kind of, you're putting your fortune in someone else's hands, like literally. 
So we'll uh, we'll wait and see how that plays out first. But you know, maybe at Phillip Island or New Zealand, maybe even Homebush, if Jamie's out, he might do something. But I'm not expecting too much until then. Mm. Well, we'll definitely talk about co-drivers a bit later on in the show. We need to take a break here on Inside Supercars and we'll be back to talk about Sydney Motorsport Park in a bit more detail. I hope you'll stay with us. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to uh, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, where we're joined by Fogues and Lewis. Isaacs, both from Auto Action, but of course, folks, you can read your articles not only in the Fairfax media, but online at The Age, The Canberra Times, even the Sydney Morning Herald. You can indeed. Well spotted. Mm -hmm. Sydney Motorsport Motorsport Park 2016. Lewis, do you think it'll be a night event? Do you want to see a night event? And will anyone turn up to a night event? Well, that really depends on, on when it is. If it's in August and it's at night and it's in Western Sydney, I think you can guarantee you won't see a single soul. It'll be too cold. Rugby league's still on then and Sydney people are notorious for staying in. Uh, whether the night thing happens will be interesting. It would certainly be a, an interesting spectacle because uh, some days when there's no rain and, and, and the like, there's just not much going on at that track, you know. So we'll see how it goes. Whether it runs in prime time as well is going to be um, a crucial factor that I wouldn't bet my house on it. Folks, with Fox Sports' suite of programs, and particularly their suite of football and other codes, they're pretty much jam-packed for evening wintertime fare. And then, obviously, in summer, do you really want to take on one-day cricket? Uh, I'd rather take on one-day cricket than AFL or NRL. Taking on the footy is a complete losing battle. Um, in the, what you generally term the summer months, motor sport and V8 supercars particularly has a, has a fighting chance. So, as Lewis indicated, I think if you're going to have a, a night meeting at Sydney Motorsport Park, um, the earlier in the year the better, I suspect, um, just to get out of the crowded calendar and to also just to make it more pleasant um, for the crowds, for the spectators. Um, and, and I think it would be, you know, a night meeting, as it were, early in the season, um, would be a good spectacle. Um, well, it would be a great spectacle. I mean, it's nothing better than motor racing at night. We just have to have the right circumstances, and um, Sydney Motorsport Park have expressed an interest in um, installing some permanent lighting um, on the track, and I believe, well, they did put in submission to the New South Wales government for some funding, um, but haven't heard where that, where or where that's going or if it's going anywhere but certainly the idea of night racing appeals has just got to be um, firstly the right time and I then I suppose the debate starts about the right place but if Sydney Motorsport Park is the only track that I've heard of that's put their hands up um, to be interested in installing lights so 
unless there's some secret desire elsewhere, um, they're it for the moment. Mm, of course, uh, it's an interesting situation with Sydney Motorsport Park, the only track in Sydney that's permanently there that you could do it at. But all that talk, Lewis, about shortening the season, and now we're talking about you've got to do it in summer, which, you know, I can't remember when daylight saving starts and finishes, but it certainly puts it either closer to the 500 at the end of the year or you've got to have it right after Clipsal. Yeah, I don't think it, 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 that the scheduling is too much of an issue because, you know, with the Grand Prix date changing, there is kind of a gap between Clipsal and, um, and the Grand Prix. And then, of course, we go to Tasmania after that. So, you know, there's a window of opportunity there. The um, football season isn't, you know, fully in swing there and the weather's pretty nice up here in March. So it's not too bad, but you'll probably see more people stuck in traffic than anything else. And that's one of the biggest complaints about, uh, like, even rugby league crowds are said to have a problem because when the game starts at 7.30 on a Friday night or even a Saturday night, Lewis, people can't get to the game on time, so they just watch it on TV. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of the time it's just easier too, isn't it? You, you're inside, you can crack a cold one, nothing untoward should happen to you, so it seems to be a bit of a Sydney attitude, but I can understand why they want to mix around with the format because Eastern Creek is a pretty, uh, pretty world-class facility. It's just the racing there has been a bit ordinary and no one's shown up in the last few years. And one of the biggest problems about any racing at Sydney Motorsport Park, folks, is the lack of the track you can see. The pit building in the centre of the track blocks out significant chunks for fans, on, particularly on the front straight. Yeah, well, until that changes, it's, it's going to be a problem and it's been talked about for years to reorient things and they really need to, you know, either move that complex or reorient the track and, and have have, the, have that facility somewhere else or have the pits somewhere else. I, I, I don't know, but the, the current layout is... I, I've never understood it why you've, you know, had the main grandstand. Well, I suppose it's on the nominally the main straight, but it's there and, and what would be normally a great position to watch racing from because you can see you, you could actually see a lot of the track from there if that building wasn't right in the middle of it so but moving that complex is not going to be not going to be easy um but yeah in essence you're right but mm. it's not going to change anytime soon is it and i don't know that you could elevate what i'll nominally call the back straight so that it's higher than the the pit building from viewing at the front either. I don't know that that's any cheaper than moving the buildings. Well, there's plenty of landfill next door, so I guess you can get that pretty cheap. Yeah, I think we just got to accept that probably in our lifetimes, um, well, maybe more mine, (laughs) Sydney Motorsport Park is going to be what it is. You know, I, I don't see any big, 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 big changes. You know, they've made some pretty good changes in recent times and to expect any more than that. Um... I don't think is realistic. So until or unless there's an alternative in Sydney, as far as the permanent circuit goes, um, it's what we're stuck with and we've got to make the best of it. Mm, It's going to be interesting to see how that discussion all pans out. We'll take a break on Inside Supercars. Plenty more when we return. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. 
Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Lewis Isaacs and Mark Fogarty. Folks, I will say we're recording this on a Tuesday evening, and there is an announcement with the New South Wales Premier on Wednesday, so uh, it's hard to say everything that will be said by the Premier, but you have to wonder, with Bathurst on the horizon and a lot of talk about the permanent circuit at Bathurst, will we actually have a night race on a permanent circuit at Bathurst before we have a night race anywhere else? Well, there you go. I hadn't thought of that one. Um, that second circuit at Mount Panorama doesn't figure high on my radar because uh, I, I think it's unnecessary and uh, you know, I, I don't know why we need a second track there. You know, Mount Panorama is what it is, and its appeal is that circuit and having a short circuit that utilises, you know, what well, mostly utilises all the flat ground, if you like, down the bottom of the track. I, I, I honestly, I just can't see what reason it has to exist. So I haven't really thought about that, but I suppose it's possible. But why? Why Why would you go all the way to Bathurst to see that? And, of course, uh, what we could see in your lifetime then is a replication of Sydney Motorsport Park where the main grandstand's completely blocked by the pit building. Uh, well, I'm sorry, but the whole idea has nothing to recommend it. Lewis, you, to me. you being a true blue New South Welshman, are you excited about a permanent circuit at Bathurst? Um... I'd like one closer to home if we're going to have one, but I think any new track in this country is a bonus considering the last, you know, permanent one that's on the V8 calendar was Queensland Raceway in 1999, and, yeah, any, anything would be a, would be great, but I'm not sure if Bathurst is the right place for it. You've really got to fish where the fish are, right? Well, if the fish don't bother biting when you put the food in front of them, then perhaps you need to find a market that does. The Wollongong Grand Prix. I'm calling it early. All right. Bathurst Wildcards, though, are definitely going to be on the agenda. How many are you expecting, Lewis? Uh, I'd be surprised if there's one, personally. Um, and, you know, the, the rumour is it's going to be that all-female one, which will uh, certainly be a talking point. Whether it will be competitive or not is a, is a whole other matter. But, you know, there's the opportunity for Dunlop Series teams to purchase, to purchase cars to run, but the reality is there just aren't enough cars or the future models out there. So, uh it's going to be difficult to say they're really going to boost the grid this season. The talk I was hearing, folks, was there was more likely going to be Dunlop Series cars or teams more likely to run in the Kumo Series next year than to take up the offer of a new car of the future to run in the Dunlop Series. Well, it's not going to be, by any stretch of the imagination, cheap for Development Series teams to step up, you know, Getting the latest chassis is a nice idea, but the introduction necessarily is going to have to be phased next year and, you know, how they're going to balance that all out and then the simple cost for a team to buy one of the new cars, which, as we know, are not cheaper than the old cars. 
so they're not going to be cheaper in the sense that just because they're second-hand um, and there's going to be a shortage of them, um, the only the only good thing about it is that, yes, there's the opportunity to compete in some of the enduro, enduro events, including Bathurst, um, you know, with a, with a light car, um, but there seems to be more stumbling blocks to this being, um, you know, a major shift um, than things just staying where they are and as to how many wildcard entries there'll be at Bathurst. This year, well, I think a maximum of two, and we certainly know that DJR Team Penske won't be running a second car, um, not surprisingly. Um, so we've got this all-female crew that's been rumoured, as Lewis mentioned, and then um, apparently... There's been talk of one of the DVS teams um, moving up in some fashion um, and the other part of the big announcement that was due to follow um, that you were talking about on Wednesday in Sydney, which has got to be big enough. It's got to be something reasonable because it's attracted the New South Wales Premier Mike Baird. Um, but I was led to believe beforehand that that was going to be event-related, so some sort of in investment somewhere in the Bathurst 1000, so um, more than just wild cards, but how big the announcement will be, well, we shall have to wait and see, and some people who are listening to this um, will already know, won't they? That is true. I guess, interestingly, how time has changed. We had an all-female car in the uh, in the series under the Castrol banner called the Castrol Cougars. Mm. Do you think you could get away with tagging a team of all-female drivers cougars in this politically correct day and age folks well probably not because it has a far different <laughs> meaning cougars now than it did back then um so i think they're probably you're going to have to steer away from anything that's trite or even vaguely um sexist for want of, want of a better term um and it will depend on the caliber of the if, if this is all true yeah, it depends on the calibre of the drivers, and um, Renee Gracie has been mentioned as one driver who she competes in the Dunlop series and paired with uh, an international female driver. So um, it'll all depend on the quality and the capability of that combination as to whether it's just a, a curiosity or whether it takes the you know takes the game forward in in terms of um, finding a couple of females who are actually competitive rather rather than just being there for the sake of being female. Mm. And yeah, because tokenism is just going to put it all backwards. Mm-hmm. If it's not competitive, there's no point in having it. Sure, it might get some stories in the Daily Telegraph, but you know, as far as female drivers are concerned, if, you, if they're just doing it for the sake of doing it, then it's really kind of putting that movement backwards. And interestingly, we've seen a wildcard do it right. The Xbox car was... a f- tremendous success but then we've seen wild cards that have you know have been there for other reasons and uh, I immediately think now of how we will remember the Shannon's showdown entries with the consideration that if Chas Mostert was to win his second Bathurst it would be with a driver that had his first Bathurst in a Shannon's Mars bar car and the wonder of it is that, that, that they didn't bury his career right then the fact that he's progressed and become a you know one of you know one of the potential future stars of V8s um, after that effort um, 
is amazing that his reputation survived, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to well, take... Well, as you remember, it yeah, wasn't it was exactly... A, he, did not have, he did not have a great weekend. No. And, but he was uh, 17, too. You've got to remember that. Yeah, yeah, well, sure, but, opportunity to but he was thrown in there, so and that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I think Just the more quite. impressive one was the year after when he was the lead driver and he hadn't been in that car before and he actually kept it on the road and they were, they were pretty impressive, those two. With Jesse Dixon, wasn't it? Yeah, he, I thought mm-hmm. both of them really well and Cameron you, you saw the improvement after one year yeah but I'm just saying that first effort could have sunk his career you know plenty of drivers in the past their careers have been sunk by a poor first impression at Bathurst you remember Bugs <laughs> we need to take a break here on Inside Supercars yeah, pl- plenty more when we return Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And And you're you're listening listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Fogues and Lewis Isaacs, both from Auto Action. Fogues does a bit for the... uh, the mastheads under the Fairfax banner. And uh, look, an interesting story, Andrew Van Leeuwen had uh, an article there a few months ago now, but I hadn't had a chance to talk to anyone about it. Rick Kelly uh, saying that during his championship years, or the, the year he won the championship, he was on the crux of trying to do what Marcus Ambrose did and go to NASCAR. I'm wondering, Lewis, do you think... He should have tried his luck at NASCAR or was staying with V8 Supercars in the light that he's now a, a team owner with factory backing was actually the right move in the long run. Well, you know, he hasn't done a lot of winning since that championship year, has he? You know, and that's, I don't know that he did a lot of winning in that championship year well, that's, either. That's true, but he did take home a, a pretty nice prize at the end of the season. So I guess if you look at it like that kind of way, perhaps he should have chanced his arm. But right now I think he's in a pretty good spot. As you mentioned, he's a team owner. Before he's still the lead Nissan driver, he gets to do lots of other fun things through that brand and all his little camera gear and the like. But, you know, I think for Australians, and, you know, in particular V8 drivers, it would have been good to see more go over to the NASCAR. There aren't a lot of road courses there, and you imagine in an alternative universe, Marcus Ambrose could have been a real star, you know, or more than he was. But, um, you know, to see other guys give that oval racing a go and, and just kind of put the category like our own one on the map would have been great. It is so tough for Australian drivers to go overseas. And, folks, you were in Europe. You saw a lot of Australians come and go in those lower divisions. Mm. It's so expensive and it's such a risk. It is a big risk and very few make it through and that's what makes it worthwhile. As I recall, and this revelation about Rick Kelly considering NASCAR, it, you know, I have to put in perspective and say it's not new... Um, it's quite an old story. I think I don't know, Lewis. Do you remember? I think I think we ran it as part of an interview or allied with an interview with Rick some years ago. Anyway, 
anyway. Yeah, it sounds about right. It's not new. Um, and I seem to remember also that by his own admission, Rick wasn't exactly knocked over in the rush of NASCAR teams to sign him up. Even, and what well, that would have been, yeah, after Marcus Ambrose's first year uh, in the trucks in NASCAR. Um, so there was a small awareness, but... Um, you know, Rick went over there, looked around, talked to a lot of people, and you know, no, as I said, no one was signing to rush. I imagine now rushing to sign him up, and so you know, at the he didn't he didn't have alternatives, didn't have anywhere to go, so he would have just been wandering off on his own and taking an even bigger risk than Marcus Ambrose did, because at least Ambrose had Ford um, paving the way for him. So I think, in the overall and that Rick made the right decision to stay here because, no, he hasn't done a lot of winning, um, but, you know, at least he co-owns the team and, and, you know, on his day he can be a factor. Mm, I think after Marcus, though, the door's kind of... It's further ajar than it was, you know, for Rick, as it were, back then. And, you know, you look at the standard of V8 drivers, they're a lot younger now, so if someone else were to give that, you know, a proper crack like Rick Rick mentioned, you know, I think there'd there'd be more opportunities these days than, than perhaps his first time around. Yes, now there would be. There's a, an increased awareness, but you've got to remember, even so, even you know, even Jamie Wincup, if he were to go over there, you, an Aussie driver over there is still, you know, little above a curiosity. Yep. And it's and it's very fine. You speak to George Elliott, who did some racing over there, and and people like that, and it's so foreign to them. They just are in a different, you know, even the Speedway guys who are dirt track Speedway guys go over there and go, it's a different league. It, it's They're growing up with it. There are so many nuances. You can't just learn them in a year of trying to take it on. They're learned over 15 years of, of uh, grinding away on uh, quarter and half mile circuits. Well, Scott McLaughlin's 22 now or something. If he goes, he'll be... In 15 years, he still won't be that old. He'll be, he'll be right, I reckon. Good NASCAR age for winning. Mm. But he'd be giving up a fair paycheck where he is now to go oh. to a, a much, much smaller paycheck for probably 10 years. <laughs> I don't know. And, I think they'd be pretty and, similar. He does drive yeah. for Gary Rogers Motorsport, remember? Well, I was about to say, if you're giving up a fair paycheck at Gary Rogers, you're going on to a pit and saver in the States. <laughs> Look, let's talk internationals. Lucas Dumbrell, after months of we're going to have some big name internationals in our lineup, we have Oliver Gavin, who has got definite credibility to line up with Nick Perkat, and Perth becoming a new international country with Carl Reinler up with Tim Blanchard. Well, Lewis, Carl's when... name sounds kind of foreign and exotic, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, Lewis, I know it's a long flight when we head over there, but Perth still, on my map, says it's part of Australia. Well, it depends who you ask, really. I think there's a few over there that would like to secede, but I think that's more a matter of circumstance for that team. They they did chase a couple of big names, as we know. Jerome Bleakmollen was, was one that was, you know, mentioned a lot, but Carl's been around. He, he seems to know what he's doing in a V8 supercar, and it's not necessarily a bad choice, but it's not the exciting one we were promised, but... You know, I think the the big name international thing made it was more of a big deal for them than anyone else because as good as Oliver Gavin is, that it was really ripples in Australia. It wasn't any uh, any massive tidal waves or anything, was it? And perhaps that's the cut through of Oliver Gavin, but he is a very very good driver in my opinion, folks. I don't know what yours is. 
Oh, no, he's a very capable hand. I mean, he and Percat, they finished third at Bathurst last year. He won Le Mans this year. You know, very good year. Hmm. Yeah, so we're in agreement. Who won, who won Le Mans this year? Ollie Gavin, he won the GT one. Oh, sorry, GT, yeah. What worries were you watching, folks? <laughs> yeah, sorry, I was watching the outright. Um, yeah, no, 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 he's good. No, so he's, he's, a, he's a good choice, and repairing with Perkett makes sense. Um, and so, you know, and then and the second car, well, it is the second car, isn't it? You know, I think. Probably the co-driver they have is at the level that that car is at, so all seems tidy to me. I think going after you know some overseas gun probably would have you know, would have been over over eating the pudding a little bit. I think. <laughs> all right then. Look, uh, some talk that the uh, commission is considering faster pit lane speeds and taking the refueling restrictor out to give teams more tactical options. Uh, Lewis, what's your take? Do you think we need to improve the time it takes to have a pit stop or do we just need to improve the way the cars can race on the track? Yeah, well, I think even beyond that, you know, people talk about tyres and the like, but a 60k sprint isn't really the solution either. But, if you know, you look at the, the pit lane situation on its own, I don't imagine anything will change because going from 40k's an hour to 100 is really going backwards in terms of safety and and no one will ever stand for that because it's just it's too risky. You might be able to get away with it in F1 because those cars stop a bit quicker and they're, they're much lighter. But it's, it's not going to happen, in my opinion. And maybe the fuel restrictor might make a, a difference, but there are better ways to spice up the racing and uh, you know a lot safer ones too. Fuel restrictor is, uh, is one that's uh, a tricky one, folks, because the teams that can spend the time on working on getting their hoses to flow, getting their tank to flow. They have the money and they're going to be able to optimise it the quickest. Yes, but apparently you can only improve the speed of the flow to the point where it only makes a difference of a couple or a few seconds in a pit stop. So that seems to be a great waste of time if that is in fact the case. Um, and then the, the pit lane speed limit and raising it, I, you know, probably raising it to 60 kilometres per hour is sensible and probably what they should be doing. I'm a bit surprised they're talking about 100 kilometres per hour. Um, simply because, I mean, I love the idea. I mean, if you left it to me, I, I wouldn't have any speed limit on the pit lanes. That would sort things out. And you may scoff at that, but for for more years, there was no limits in pit lanes and very little happened compared with how many years we've now had. What I suppose you'd be going back to Formula 1 at most. You know, we're talking... 20 years or so of speed lane, pit lane speed limits. Um, but it's not, it's not as if there was, you know, carnage in the preceding decade. So I'd be a big fan of just, you know, letting them go as fast as they could. But that's not going to happen. And 100 not going to happen either. It's for the same safety concerns and the congestion and the narrowness of most of the pit lanes. Um, but, I, I, you know, I would think raising it from, well... What, is it 40 kilometres per hour? I think it's, oh, I think it's like 40 on most tracks. Yeah. I mean, 40 is ridiculous. It's walking, pray, walking pace, isn't it, by comparison? Well, for, so, at least 60 or maybe 80 would, be, would seem sensible to me. Well, I think the 40 thing makes sense because it kind of it mitigates the loss you'll have if you do get double stacked. So at 100 k's an hour, if you get double stacked, then everyone else is going to go past you, you know, two and a half times as quickly. 
No, you're not because you're going to be under safety car conditions but where you're going to have a track position though. But and when you've only got a single boom, it's I don't know if you can actually give away that advantage. Yeah, but if you can't, you can't under a safety car, which is when you double stack. You can't under a safety car speed up to a hundred kilometre an hour pit lane when the safety car's doing eighty. Well, perhaps you could. Is it is a sneaky way to get your lap back? <laughs> Uh, well, I think, yeah, this is all very well, but it's not going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, all right. why are we expending mental energy on this? All right. Well, we won't expend mental energy on that any longer, folks. We don't normally talk about things outside of supercars on inside supercars, but there is an issue that I do want to get both of your uh, views on. Some changes that CAMS have made over the last few months have been questioned by many in the industry and across the entire industry from from karting right up, which well, from above karting to, of course, the uh, upper levels of Australian motorsport. They've announced uh, in the recent weeks that they're going to take over the management of the Nationals Series, the Shannon's National Series as it's known now. And with their changes in championship motorsport, I know in the email I sent to you, they'd be either CAMS or V8 Supercars will be running everything but the Australian GT Championship, but I got reminded when I was doing some backgrounding today that they also don't run any of the Porsche categories like the GT3 or Carrera Cup. So with that in mind, two national championships run by Tony Quinn, the other two, one run by CAMS, the other by V8 Supercars, and then, and then of course, the Porsches being called a series, which Carrera Cup uh, and Porsche Australia are not particularly happy with. Are we seeing a global improvement in Australian motorsport by this ch- this changing of management structures, folks? Consolidation is not a bad thing in some areas. Motorsport worldwide needs it, and it certainly needs it in Australia and many countries, um, and most obviously um, the UK uh, under their version of CAMS, the MSA, the chairman of which happens to be an Aussie, Alan Gow, but they've done a lot of consolidation in, in reducing um, the sheer um, plethora of categories going. They've still got a lot in the UK, but proportionally they've cut it back. There needs to be some some culling here. Um, they've gone about it in a pretty ham-fisted way and they've put a lot of people offside, but I, I generally think that, you know, they're going in the right direction. Although, having said all that, I do think it was a huge insult to the Carrera Cup and to Porsche that championship status was stripped from the Carrera Cup because, I mean, you know, that's a serious series. It's professionally run um, and it's one of the few, um, you know, direct steps to V8 supercars, you know, that we really have in this country that sort of actually means anything. Um, so I regard the fact that they let stripped it of championship status as nothing less than an insult. But the rest of it doesn't really worry me, worry me all that much. But there are a lot of CAMS members and a lot of competitors who, who are asking pertinent questions and not getting the right answers. So I think it, it certainly needs to be investigated more what's going on, but in principle doesn't concern me. Mm. And Carrera Cup, particularly an interesting one, where the champion who will no longer be called a champion, but will go to the champion's dinner at the end of the year with every other champion from every other country that runs Carrera Cup 
and any other Porsche champions that might be throughout the world throughout that year? Yeah, I remember um, our boss, Rob Margate, made the, 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 the timely joke, you know, the Cam's Award dinner this time is just going to be a, a coffee stop because there's only going to be four championships from now on. And I think they've probably got the right to feel fairly aggrieved about their situation because, as you mentioned, it's a legitimate series. It's a professional and, you know, overseas it's a support category to Formula One. That's how uh, how professional it is. But what CAMS is doing now is certainly, um, you're right, getting people offside and they're not explaining a lot of the rationale behind things. And to see the changes in Shannon's is going to be um, is quite a shock because it is growing. It's a series that, you know, picks up categories every year and, you know, keeps things cheap. And grassroots motorsport in Australia is is one of the areas where it's really shining. You know, you've got V8 teams that are losing money through sponsorship, but there are still more and more cars at, at the tracks every weekend. So it's certainly a um, a surprising move from CAMS, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And highlighted by the fact that uh, when Formula Ford was... Um changed in its category management it was picked up by shannon's nationals and grids once again started to flourish and uh, it sent a bit of a revival through formula ford in this country well, yeah, well it's a pity that revival didn't happen when it was a you know had full championship status and was struggling and numbers were diminishing i mean it's yeah, amazing but that was... you, you threat well it, until you threaten the thing suddenly they come out of the woodwork you know well the the time to show the strength of the category was when it was declining and, you know, it declined to the point where um, the category management changed. The people who'd supported it for a long time, including Ford, got out of it and, you know, essentially, obviously the category was dying and then suddenly the plugs pulled and everyone's outraged and suddenly all these cars appear out of the woodwork. Well, too late. Well, I, yeah. I think that's wrong there, folks, because one of the big changes was getting it off the V8 bill and all of a sudden the entry fees dropped and it became affordable again for for too many years when you're racing at the Grand Prix and at Phillip Island and wherever else they went with the V8s. It was just, it was too pricey for the young people. But the other thing is... Sorry, Lucia, if you want the exposure, you know, you go to the big meets. Yeah, but if you want to get exposure for... And the the category was getting a lot better support in those days. I mean, Ford were backing it. It was being professionally run and had been for a long time. Um, I mean, I... I think probably what we're talking about is, is somewhere in the middle, but it just, I still think that um, the show of support does, came too late and the, and the world needs to move on. There are a lot of problems with Formula 4, don't get me wrong, but it is a modern state-of-the-art junior open wheeler category and I could never get my head around one simple fact about Formula Ford, um, which was that they continued to be space frame cars, you know, they weren't as safe as they could be. If I can put my two cents in, I wonder whether it was the problem with the series in general or the fact that there was teams, leading teams, charging more than a Dunlop supercar fee for competitors to get in their front-running cars that had more to do with the decline than management or uh, lack of interest. Yeah, but you can say the same about just about any category. I mean, going all, you know, I've heard that same complaint, you know, about go uh, carts. You know, the, the, the um, you know, the, the current change, you know, the, the, the big review and reforms that went on in cart. I heard the same criticisms that, you know, there were these, you know, select groups 
of suppliers and preparers who are charging a fortune milking the rich dads with their sons and that was pricing everyone out, you know. Uh, and that happens in so many categories, you know. I mean, if it, honestly, in all but the very uh, most elite categories, if it weren't for rich dads, there wouldn't be motorsport. You reckon all but the most elite? Well, I'm talking, you know, I mean, well, yeah, they're, they're involved, but, you know, rich, rich dads um, aren't, well, they're crucial to getting their drivers into V8 supercars, but um, they're, they're not, the, the, the level of funding. I would, say, uh, I would suggest well, that they've okay, got a few yeah, Formula I'm 1 as well. I'm, I'm driving myself into a cul-de-sac to some point because there are rich dads who fund teams, but I, I think you, you get the essence of what I'm saying is that in the, Lower categories, fathers funding their drivers' careers are absolutely um, fundamental to those categories. And then you get into GT racing, which is you know predicated on having rich gentlemen drivers in there. Um, the rich father thing it, it it plays on a different scale in in V8 supercars or you know even even Formula One. Yes, it's it's a factor, but it's it's not it's not quite as crucial. It's not it's not three quarters of the grid, whereas it is in the lower categories. Yeah. All right, we need to take a break. A final thought up after this. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels through the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. A final thought, Lewis Isaacs, or observation. Oh, well, uh... Um, Even tip the winners for this week. Yeah, I think I, I might do that. Keep it keep it very simple, and I'm going to really shock everyone and say Mark Winterbottom. He's the local boy. He grew up around the corner in Doonside. It's a, um, a fantastic story that he didn't really have the rich dad of, uh, of other people. He just kind of, he grafted through a bit harder, and, uh... I'd like to see him triumph because I think it's good for the sport having someone different win. You mean the championship now, not all these races that we've seen him win this year? Fogues. Fogues. I agree with Lewis. It's absolutely vital to the championship, to to V8 supercars, that anyone other than Jamie Wincup wins the championship. And as good as anyone else, and it, it would be about time, is for... Mark Winterbottom to win the driver's title and for um, the team formerly known as Ford Performance Racing to finally get the other monkey off their back and win the team's title. So, big test coming up at Sydney Motorsport Park. I think this will, this funnily enough, more than the Enduros, um, will, will show whether that team and, those, and their drivers have the mettle to continue on and do us all a favour by... Not being Jamie Wincup champion. Okay. Folks, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Craig. Pleasure to be here. Lewis, enjoy the short scooter ride to Sydney Motorsport Park. Scooter? I resent that, Craig. Vespa, sorry. Is there a vi- it must be a long bike lane out to Sydney Motorsport Park, Lewis. No, I'll take the, uh, the hog, as we call it, out. 
the hog. Yeah, the motorbike, the one of the engine. Yeah. yeah. Is it a hog because it's a hog or because it's a pig? Settle down, mate. It probably costs more than your car. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all, all right. we have time Look for. Good seeing you all at Eastern Creek. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Until next time around, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.